We're live. <laughs> okay, we're not ready for that. <laughs> okay. What I'm saying that you, is that you can't always, by the time you get the information, I don't know if that's really the case. And so my judgment may, may be flawed because I don't have true information. But that's why we've got tonight, we've got true information. Here we go. Mark chapter 4. And I, uh, I'm going to be honest up front, not like I'm lying other times, but I am sometimes deceived or deceived myself that I say we're going to cover chapter 4, verses 1 through 25. And I'm telling you, we may be here for three or four weeks just because uh, this, is a, this is important uh, information. And there's several ways to look at it. And uh, I, I'm going to begin right here. We, we end the chapter, uh, chapter 3 last week. Uh, with two groups of people, the chapter last week, two groups of people, you had those that were close to Jesus and those that were, we'll just say, enemies, because they, they'd come with the intention of destroying him. Uh, those that were close to him thought he was insane, and they came to take him away, so they didn't understand him. Those that were his enemies, they came to destroy him, and uh, he he separated himself from these people these these people the enemies uh he referred to them as having committed or were in the danger of committing the unforgivable sin now those that are close to him we've got the second time now he's going to there they came to the house where he was at and that's where we leave off chapter chapter three he's in the house they came to him he says uh whoever does the will of god they are my mother my brother my sisters and then he departs again. In fact, it's going to begin here with the word again. It says again, and he's going to leave, and he's going to go back out to the sea and sit in a boat. So he was previously in a boat. The crowds were pressing in on him in chapter, chapter 3, and he had to go to the boat for safety. I mean, it's pretty clear he had to go to the boat for safety because the crowds kept pushing on him because they're coming for miracles. They're coming for healing. They're coming for something that he's going to get close to him and they're pressing in on him that they ha- he even told his disciples, get a boat ready for me. And when they, he got on the boat and then sailed out because what Jesus wants to do is teach. He wants to talk to the people. He, wants, he doesn't just want to touch them, heal them, get everybody, you know, solve all their problems. He needs to proclaim, I'm going to show you here tonight, proclaim the kingdom. The good news of it has to be proclaimed. It has to be taught. And so Jesus is teaching. So tonight it says, again, and that's in reference to what he did it in chapter 3. Now again, he leaves and goes out into a boat and sits out in the water. And the reason is no one can get to him. I mean, sometimes you miss that. It's like because sitting in the boat talking is going to be a great place for him to speak. The, the sound is going to carry. There's a, you know, like a natural uh, uh, seating arrangement. It goes up the hills outside of, uh, uh, you know, outside of Capernaum. There, there's hills. They can sit on this, the, the coast and sit on the hills as he's talking to them. That's true, but it also, they can't get to him because he's out in the water, not like way out in the lake, but they'd have to like swim out to him. And uh, he's got a barrier that he can then focus on teaching. And that's where we're at right now in these chapters. And I'll read through this, and we'll come back and talk about it. Uh, chapter 4, you're going to hear right here, th- this, is his t- this teaching ministry is beginning. He's got attention. He's done several healings, several times where he has had crowds where he's healed. But now he's going to again 
try to teach. Uh, and, and what you're going to do, you're going to, the parable is going to be about different hearts, uh, different types of soil and seeds and hearing. Uh, the people, the soil and the hearts are going to vary. And he's going to be teaching, providing seeds that are teaching. And the hearing is going to be at a variety of different levels. And not, not, not everyone who hears. Everyone can hear, but not everyone's going to be able to understand. And that, that is what he's, his point is right here, is he's talking to them. You've all come because Jesus is here, but some of you came for something else, and since I'm not going to give you what you want, you're going to stop hearing. Some of you came... Uh, you maybe were healed, you came for a different reason, but you actually got a heart that wants more. You're seeking the truth, you're seeking the kingdom of God, and when Jesus begins to talk, they're going to not only hear, but they're going to begin to understand. Others are going to hear, but I'm not really here to hear the truth. I'm not really here to understand. I'm here to get something else. And since Jesus isn't offering that, they're going to misunderstand his words or they can't focus. And I think you'll see that here. There's one main parable in this chapter, and then there's going to be one, two, three parables coming after that gives you a little more insight into it. So here we go. I'll try to read it in the NIV. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, and here's one of the parables, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, now what he's saying right here, if you don't mind me interrupting this, is he's talking, it would seem, about the situation he's in. He is now, he's been teaching them it doesn't tell us all the details of what he was teaching, but he's teaching more than just this one parable. Uh, the, in, the impression I have is he's teaching, he's explaining, and then he's maybe looking around and says, okay, listen, what's happening here is just like this, meaning the, he's been planting seeds, and now he's going to stop and explain what's happening as he's teaching. Uh, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Others fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or, I think, that we, and we'll come back to this, what he's saying is, those who have ears to understand, let them understand. Meaning, everyone's hearing, but not everyone's going to understand. So if you're one that has ears uh, a desire go ahead and understand this because if you don't you have no idea what i'm talking about and you're going to misunderstand you're going to 
uh, get confused, and, well, he'll explain it. Here's what's going to happen. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Now, I want to point this out because I don't think I understood this until last week or the week before because I saw it here in Mark, and we talked about it, but I want to make a point of it, is when Jesus called his disciples, he went away from the crowd and called some to follow him, or they followed him, and the believers, will say, followed him, and out of that group, he chose 12. So it wasn't just 12 men went with him. This group, maybe, like, remember, he's going to send out, as we know from other gospels and later on, he's going to send out the 72, He's going to send out the 12, but he's also going to send out the 72. There's a bigger group of, of what we'd say disciples, followers that are close to Jesus. Because even when it came time to replace Judas, they had to choose from among those who had been with them from the very beginning. And it wasn't like, well, we've only got 12, now we lost one, now we've got 11. It's like, well, we've got all these other people to choose from. Well, let's take one of them that was here from the very beginning. And now look at this, you can see it right here. Uh, verse 10 when he was alone the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables this is not the crowd they're away from the crowd he's alone with the 12 but he's alone with the 12 with the others so this is not a public setting this is his group uh and so we know of the 12 but we got a picture that there's also you know 10 20 40 i don't know others that are with them and then there's Jesus, then there's Peter, James, and John, the close three, then all of the 12, and then there's others that are traveling. Eventually, there's going to mention some of the, the women that are traveling with them. Uh, but nonetheless, just, that's kind of interesting to keep in mind. It's not just Jesus and the 12, it's, it's this bigger group. Okay. Uh, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parable. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Now, again, the outside would be those that have not understood who he is. Again, and even those who are on the inside are still growing in their understanding of who he is. And again, we, we know this because the disciples are going to resist as Jesus continues moving towards Jerusalem. They don't understand where he's actually going. They believe in him, but it's in a, in a limited base and we got to evaluate ourselves too i know jesus i believe in jesus but there's a whole multiple levels of his person that i don't understand yet it's it, it's never been revealed to me i don't have the capacity to understand it yet and even when jesus does return as we see in revelation he's got a name written on him that no one knows but he himself in other words the name would indicate some revelation of the person and there's a name that no one knows because it's at such a, if you want to say, such a high level that only he can understand this level of his person. And so the people that he's talking to, he considers them on the inside and the secrets are being revealed to them, but yet they don't have full understanding. In fact, they would have, you know, sometimes what we'd say very limited understanding of what he's doing. But that makes even more concerning of those on the outside I mean, how little do they understand? How little do they know? And I would say one of the, and I'll read through the notes that I wrote down. 
but a lot of it is the Spirit of God is teaching some, that they, they're following the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of God is revealing, and others are following the Spirit of the world. And so if Jesus tells a parable, like the one he's just told, if you're following the Spirit of God or the Spirit of God is revealing to you and you are seeking the kingdom of God, you're seeking God, it, you're going to understand it in a, in a way that those who are listening to it but are actually seeking the world or the spirit of the world is trying to explain it to them you're going to go to you're going to hear the same thing and go two different directions and i can i'll tell you this just in passing again i'm not even done reading it yet but i remember way back in 1983-84 hearing kenneth copeland and that was one of the again forgive me but that was one of the first bible teachers on tv that i saw that i thought oh i got excited as a christian but he was actually teaching the bible which he was not please uh, he's not i don't agree with kenneth copeland at all but you go back 40 years uh he was and one of the things that he was teaching was this was talking about prosperity that how you you give and you get and this is all about the way the kingdom works and of course uh, you know i i thought I, I bought into it. I thought this was great, and it got me into the Word. And as I studied the Word, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, this is completely. He he was teaching it from the position of the spirit of the world and taking it, and was actually just confusing me more and more in his in, in his teaching. I got you know into the Word, and eventually it's like, wait a minute, I I don't think that's right. And I pulled away from it, and all of a sudden other things opened up, and other things that I'd bought into as far as doctrine realized this isn't true at all. But, I mean, I meaning I've experienced this right here where if you listen to this from the point of, of the spirit of the world, you hear one thing, but it's going to just take you away further and further from the truth. But if you hear it the way he intended it, as Jesus is teaching it, well, he'll lead you into more truth. Here it goes. So I've been on both sides of this. Um, I think that was 40 years ago. So, I mean, it's not like last week's lesson, although... I could be wrong last week too. Uh, then Jesus said to him, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the, alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, I'm saying it in a parable, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they may, might turn and be forgiven. In other words, I'm telling it to you in a parable because you have the secret. You're going to hear it, and you're going to understand it, and you're going to start progressing because you have the right attitude. Those on the outside, I'm going to say it in a parable, and they're going to hear it, but it's going to just drive them further and further from the truth. So in other words, this parable that he's teaching here in Mark 4 is not to instruct as much as it is to divide. Because he's already separated himself from the enemies. Now those that are close to him, some of them have come to take him away because they think he's insane. Well, now he's going to do this. He's going to tell a parable that's going to divide those who are close to him in the two groups. Those that are close to him, some of them are going to hear and understand and continue growing some are going to hear and go this isn't what this and we see the same thing taking place in john chapter 6 with the multiplying of the bread he multiplied the bread and they came back the next day for breakfast and 
he had given them a sign so that they might ask, what does this mean? And it means that he, he's the son of God. I am the bread of life. But they came back for breakfast and they asked, can we have more food? It's like, no, this is not, the, the message was not I can feed you and I can make bread. The message was, don't you have a question on how I did that? Who am I? Well, you're the guy that can make bread. Give us more bread. And as he began to teach them, it says many left him. The, the sign was given to divide. And then he turned to his disciples, as you know, he says, you know, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter says, where else will we go to receive or to get the word of life? It's like, which, okay, so you're in. You understand what I was talking about. Others came for breakfast. He said, I'm not going to give you breakfast. He didn't say it like that. I mean, he didn't say, I'm not giving you breakfast. But he did say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I am the word of life. I am it. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Peter goes, well, I know what he's talking about. He's, he's life. He is the word of life. Others are going to go, that's gross, and they left. So, I mean, the same parable, it, it's dividing. So that's what's taking place right here. So, again, don't think that, ah, this is a great teaching. Everyone's going to flock to it. This is Jesus throwing down the gauntlet. If you came for more miracles and you just want me to solve all your problems, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you what's happening here. I'm teaching, and some of you are hearing the words, but you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are hearing, and you're going to begin to grow. And he quotes right here uh, an Old Testament verse, and we'll talk about that. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, those on the inside, the 12 and the others with him, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along, excuse me, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So again, just th- we'll come back to this next week or the week after. But this is when, when, when the word of God is being proclaimed, when truth is being presented, it's laying there, but some saint will come and take it away and they'll never get a chance to process it. He's going to steal it with, replace it with something else. And again, there's a variety of ways we can talk about that would take place. But they never really get a chance to even get in. It's stolen. It's eaten and taken away. Uh, Others, like seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. It's like they're hearing the same truth. Yes, this is great news. But since they have no root, they just, oh, that sounds good. They last only a short time. They're going to, yeah, they're there for a while, but they're not really growing. They just says, this is good news. Well, you've got to receive it and let it grow in you. Well, I'm just really excited about this. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Why were they excited? Because it was good news. It was good news. Right, but this good news is going to bring trouble and persecution. Well, that's not good news. Okay, well, what did you hear? Well, I heard you're going to solve all my problems. Well, no, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to deliver you from sin, Jesus would say. I'm going to take you into the kingdom of God, but you're still on earth where there's going to be trouble and persecution. So you're really not going to solve my political problems. You're really not going to solve my financial problems. It may get worse. Oh, I was excited there for a while, but yeah, I'm not into this. Well, you never really were. Now, this is where you say they lost their salvation. Well, they never really were in. They were understanding it at a shallow level that, oh, Jesus is the answer. 
You know, Jesus, he, Jesus, well, yes, but what, what question are you asking? Are you asking, like, deliverance from death, deliverance from sin, eternal life, relationship with God? Or are you saying, I, I want all the problems of my life fixed? Well, that may, not be, that may not be the answer because your problems, God is going to use your problems to help you stay focused. And then now we're on another whole level of teaching there. But nonetheless, others like seed sown in rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still, others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things. I mean, those are three classic things right there. Worries, deceit of wealth, and the desire of things come in and choke the word. So you've got the word, you hear it, you understand it, but you're dealing with your flesh. Again, this is something, I mean, I deal with this all the time. It's like, I know the word, I hear the word, but I've got worries, I'm deceived by wealth, I've got desire for other things, and it's like I spend time thinking, doing, pursuing these things, and now it comes time for the word. It's like, I don't have any time left. It's been choked out by these other natural, you know, and again, you've got to live a life, you've got to have wealth, you've got to have some kind of desire, but when these things overgrow like weeds they choke the word you only got like a little bit of time for the word now it comes time to produce well here's what it says they choke the word making it unfruitful now in, in notice right here the previous ones again i'm now i'm teaching the previous ones the person may never have actually had the truth they may have been joyful about hearing the message but you never understood it you never had any root this person appears to have it they're growing but they don't produce any fruit. They themselves are alive, but they don't, have a ch- they don't mature and produce fruit. So they're, they're alive, they're growing in a sense, but not producing fruit because they're spending so much time on the worries, the wealth, the, the lust for other things, and chokes them, making it unfruitful. Now again, that may be reading too much into it, but there it is. Others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop so they hear it they understand it they accept it they don't reject it and it begins to grow and they grow and it produces a crop and then notice even this 30 60 or even a hundred times what was sown so even in the growth process of ah the good heart where the seed is growing there's going to be different levels maybe i'm producing 30 percent oh look i'm producing well, you could be producing more. Now, again, does that depend on my attitude and my growth, my pursuit? I would, I would at least consider that. Or is that determined on God's, you know, God's decree? But, you know, we'll talk about that later. I think that's a matter of even as people can respond to it in different ways, even the believers say, like, myself or yourself, how much are you growing? Are you, could you be growing more and producing more? Okay. okay, that's the parable. And we've heard Jesus tell it to the crowd. We've heard him explain it to the disciples. Now, just as we read through this quickly, I'm going to read now. There's three parables following this. Uh, and, 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 well, the first one is about a lamp, and the lamp has to be presented. Uh, another is the growing seed, uh, and it's going to take time. And the other is uh, the mustard seed. So I'll just read these very quickly. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? 
Instead, don't you put it on its stand. If you had like an oil lamp, I think I've got one here. Well, here's, here's an oil lamp like right here from that time period. Right here, the oil lamp. You don't take and light the lamp and then put it under a bed or put it on the table. There would be a stand. Maybe sometimes there'd be a, a shelf you'd set it on or there'd be a little stand you'd put on. You'd put it where it can, the light can light up the, the room. So if you've got the light, if you've got the word, you're going to put it somewhere that is going to shine as far, get the most use out of it as you can. You're not going to light it, then tuck it under somewhere so it doesn't bother anybody. Uh, for whatever, now watch this, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So the things that Jesus has, for example, that, that are not known, he has come to reveal them. He is going to put this out there for people to learn, to understand. And again, one of the things that we're going to talk about this in a moment, these parables to be interpreted, to be understood, have to be left in the context of where they're being. You can't take this out and then bring it over here and interpret it in 2022 because it wasn't spoken in 2022. It was spoken in Jesus' ministry around 30 AD in this context. Now, if you interpret it correctly, you can make application in 2022 but you still have to go back and interpret it right here in this chapter to these people that are hearing it uh, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open if anyone has ears to hear let him hear or keep on hearing and again that's what the greek would mean if anyone has ears to hear let him keep on hearing Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And that's a huge statement, that if those, if you're hearing and understanding, then you're going to grow and you're going to be able to hear it again and have a greater understanding, and you're going to continue to progress, you know, maybe 30, 60, or 100-fold, maybe that's what you're referring to. But those who have something, and they don't hear correctly, they, like, again, the spirit of the world teaches them, they're going to end up, even the little bit of truth they've got is going to be corrupted, and they're going to lose even what they've got, and you're going to go further into darkness. We'll point that out again later. Parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Talking about the process, meaning this, the, again, in a real just capsule right here, you present the truth and someone hears the truth, it's going to start changing their life. It's just, and that's the power of, I think, teaching, if you make application of this, the power of teaching the Word of God is you just teach this correctly. It's not your great insight. It's just the power of the Word in the heart of a believer. It, you don't know how it's happening, but lives are changing and people start growing and producing fruit. And it, it's not the teacher. It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God mixed in with the living heart of a believer. It's like, it's like things begin to happen. And again, that's one of the greatest joys as a Bible teacher is the pressure's not on the teacher. Come up with a great lesson. Just explain what's here. You've got enough. You, I remember my dad, you know, when he was older, he was in a church and they had a Bible study or a Sunday school class, a little men's group, and they were trying to decide uh, what book 
they needed to have a book. What book should we study next? He goes, well, we've got an entire book of books. But they wanted, you know, a little paperback book. Somebody wrote a book. And he goes, why don't we just work with this? I thought that was very, I, I was very happy with that answer. Because, yeah, you hear, well, what, what are we going to study next? Well, we've already, we, well, we've been, a, we've been Christians our whole life. We, we want to have somebody's book. It's like, well, read this book. Study this book. And the last one, verse 30. And again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So out there with the crowd that they've come for a wide variety of reasons, if they've just came for worldly reasons, they're hearing this and they're like, okay, I, I don't get that. No one plants seed on the road. No one plants seeds in the ditch. Uh, what are you talking about? He goes, you have ears to hear you'll hear if you don't be stay stay confused just like just like the prophet said uh that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding meaning if you've come with the wrong motives then you can just go ahead and leave that's basically what he's saying it's like i'm not going to give you anything except the parable that's loaded with truth you ready for it here it is i don't even understand that do you understand it peter well yeah i understand it it's like well there you go he's dividing with his parables okay with that being said we look at our notes and in these notes i've got i'll keep adding to them as we go i've got the english standard version there written out but uh here's what we've got point the first bullet point uh crowds continue to gather maybe they come for more miracles or and help but jesus now focused on teaching many will hear but only some uh, but only some of them, oh, I, I, I rephrase that. See, it says, but only some will not understand. I guess that's true, too. That word not should not be in there. But right here, this is Jesus starting right here in Mark chapter 4. It begins by saying, again, he went out to the sea, and he's teaching. And he's teaching in parables. Now, already I've got five bullet points there. Uh, already in Mark, this ideal of him teaching has been emphasize so don't i mean a lot of times uh you know we we talk about jesus miracles and all the signs and wonders and there he did but don't don't miss this point right here he's came he came to teach he came to proclaim the truth uh chapter 1 verse 38 it says and he said to them let us go on to the next towns that i may preach there also for that is why i came or that is why i came out came out to begin his ministry he, they, they wanted him to stay there in Capernaum, but he says, I came to preach. I've got to keep going and preach. Now, he's going to say the word preaching and teaching and uh, uh, preaching the word to them. All these, uh, we're going to call them all the same thing here tonight. Again, there's a difference between preaching and teaching, but look at this right here. Chapter 1, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching there in the synagogue, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He taught, by he's not, like we said before, he's not quoting all these other authors. He's just teaching, bringing out what has been disclosed. He's revealing. He's God 
teaching, revealing. He's not looking for some sort. There were, was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So they crowded in. There's going to be healings, but he's got them there, and he's teaching them. Chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. That's in the ch- before he's by the sea, and he's teaching them. So this ideal of teaching is important, and that's what he's doing in chapter 4. Um, point, the next point there, Jesus' parables reveals a man's heart and his desire to learn, perceive, and understand the, the Lord. Uh, I write, parables do not automatically teach and communicate. And these next points, the parables of Jesus, number one, help continue the process of revelation and lay the foundation for the next level. So if if you're a believer and you're hearing and he tells you the parable, you're going to receive the revelation. It's going to lay a foundation for what's coming next uh, at the level of understanding. It's by the Spirit of God. But also, these same parables are going to confuse, conceal, and misdirect the truth. If you're there for the wrong reason, the same words that brought life are going to bring confusion and, and, and de- deconstruct the truth. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, confuse, conceal, and misdirect the truth, which leads to the undoing and deconstruction of any understanding you originally had. Now, you may have seen that in someone's life. You've seen people, I've seen people, learn attentive and they grow and grow and they just keep adding to what they have i've also seen people come and 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 learn but it's like they're not something's not quite right and pretty soon they've misunderstood something or they didn't understand something and it leads on to further further and pretty soon you just watch their life just deconstruct until they're deconstructing natural reality and, and we see that in our nation right now is is and you, you can name people that have done this, where they deconstruct things that are uh, even to the pagan. This is true; it, it's reality. But they've walked away from the Word of God. They didn't understand it, and they just keep moving until pretty soon they're deconstructing things that, oh my gosh! And they and they think they're wise. Well, that's you know that's in Romans chapter one. It just, and that is the in a sense, the danger or the power of these parables is those who hear and understand are going to come to Jesus for teaching they're going to come back for more those who do not understand are going to go like and they're going to walk away and they're as they walk away they're just going to start losing the little understanding that they do have this section is the second longest section of jesus teaching in mark the first longest is going to be mark 13 the olivet discourse where he's talking on eschatology um, the parable of the sower is followed up by three major, three other parables. I just mentioned those. And now we begin chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And in the English Standard Version, again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Again, the word again is pollen, meaning a second time. And this is referring, I think, to what we talked about before in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. They rejected him. I've got that written down there, chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was 
restored, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. When that happened, he was angry with them. They went out to destroy him. Jesus, it says in the very next verse, withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed them uh, from Galilee and Jordan. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd, lest they crush him. So that this verse begins chapter 4 verse 1 like i said at the beginning again and that's probably for referring to this event in chapter 2 and 3 when they went out to destroy him and he withdrew to the sea and sat in the boat and began to teach now chapter 3 ends and that's coming up right here in the next line right there uh, point B, now again he turns away from those close to him and his family that did not understand him in chapter 3, verse 21. This was, this was before, and he went out to teach by the sea. Now it says again, he's going to again go to the sea and teach. But what, come, what do you mean again? Well, this time it was those that set out to destroy him, and he went away from them. Right before this verse, you can go in your Bibles right here, chapter 4. Just go to chapter 3 and see the very last verses of chapter 3. Uh, it, it begins, this concept begins in verse 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And then we have this story about with the, you know, the, the unforgivable sin. And then verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside the house they sent someone in to call him a crowd was sitting around him and they told him your mother and brothers are outside looking for you and then he says uh here are my mother and my brothers whoever does the will of god is my mother and sister and brother mother and sister and then chapter 4 verse 1 again he went out of the sea and began to teach so here they set out to destroy him here those close to him set out to take him home and he leaves them and goes back to the sea to teach because his ministry is to teach. So that's what that word again means there. Again, it's not just a random word. Here they came to destroy him. No, you're not going to destroy me. He went to the sea to teach. They came to take him away. Again, he goes to the sea to teach because that's what he's doing. And the crowds are coming for miracles or whatever, but some of them are coming because they're hearing the word of life. And this, this parable is going to divide that crowd. Now again, they've come to... Why'd they come? Well, they, they came to see Jesus for something. Well, you're not going to get anything except the word of life. Do you want to stay? And that's what's going to come up in John chapter 6. And he's just going to sit out there and say they can't get to him. They can't touch him. They can't ask him questions. It's just he's just out there instructing them. And he's doing that. He's keeping a distance on purpose because they just want, as we're going to see in John, they want food. They want healing. They want deliverance. They just want stuff. Solve all of our worldly problems. I didn't come to solve it. Jesus says it. He says, what good is it for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? He's here trying to teach their souls, trying to teach their hearts the word of life. Yeah, but we want more stuff in the world. It says, stop, look, the world is passing away. And this is, you can see this in the disciples or the apostles teaching, even John says, the world is already passing away. It's already passing away. Let it go. And again, there's many things that we can learn from that. And I, you know, I could start making an application. Nonetheless, um, point three, uh, 
Uh, point two, Jesus using the boat, I put in there, you already talked about, it, to keep a distance from the crowd, but also provides a speaking platform, I think mainly to keep a distance from the crowd. Point three, the people were kept there by the sea because Jesus' presence and Jesus could speak to them. Uh, point four, the great crowds were not there to learn, and Jesus knew their motives and their heart, as John 2, 23 through 25 says. This is interesting. Look at this verse. This is from Jerusalem, and it's from the book of John. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 23 through 25 of John, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw signs that he was doing. Now, this gets you to that point where the sower sows the word. Some falls on the rock, some falls in the, in the gravel by the side of the road, some falls in the weeds. Well, they all believed, they saw the miracles, so they all believed in Jesus. But Jesus on his part, did not entrust them, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. So these people believed in him. These people on the crowd, they believe in Jesus, but wait, 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 no, no, no. He's, I, I've got to teach you. I've got to get away from you. I'm not going to trust you because your motives, even though you believe in me, your motives are not saying. Now understand, this is, this is ra- not radical. This is basic church administration. This is basic church growth. This is, and and this, this can be so misused. Look what Jesus is doing to the crowds. He's here to teach them. And he, every time a crowd comes, he almost goes out of his way to divide the crowd. I mean, you can imagine someone like Judas or the church board, as Jesus' ministry is growing, uh, they've got good intentions. His family had good intentions. But you can see how they're going to try to, we've got to get this organized. We've got to fix this. We've got to keep the crowds coming. And Jesus, by the time he gets done with his ministry, th- th- there's no one left. I mean, he's completely, even the apostles on the, when he's on the cross, no one was there. John was there, apparently, with, with Jesus' mom, Mary, uh, and maybe a few others. But everyone else had scattered. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll strike the sheep, or they'll strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So, and that's the end of his ministry. But all the way up, coming through, uh, on, on Paul, I mean, what a, what a, what a uh, publicity disaster was Palm Sunday. I mean, he rides in on Palm Sunday, the crowds are cheering, uh, he's got the crowd in the palms of his hands, and then he goes up on the temple mound and turns over all the, temp- or the tables and starts chewing out people and having arguments with all the religious leaders. It's like, wait, uh, this is a PR disaster. I mean, it's like you've seen him take Biden off the stage. This, I mean, you can imagine what Judas is, okay, Jesus, we just got to go get a drink, we got to get him out of here, we'll be right back, we'll take a commercial break. It's like, it was, you can just see the PR disaster, but Jesus, the crowds, he knows their hearts. They're not here for the right reason. I've got to stay focused on this because once he starts pleasing the crowd, where would you like me to stand? What would you like me to do? What do we need to do to, before we get to the teaching? Well, we should do these activities. We should do all these things. Okay. And it's like, no, get me in a boat and I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach in such a way that it's just confusing enough that if you're not here for the right motive, you ha- I have no idea what you're talking about then leave because there's there's nothing here for you you can't hear anything which again is kind of amazing when you think about how much work churches go through to make sure no one leaves everybody's got to be comfortable 
And then what happens in our own culture is you start bringing in the pagans with whatever, potlucks and chili and you know, inflatable rides and, and you know, whatever. You, you, get to, you get to be in the rock and roll band up on stage and oh, everybody's here. It's like, okay, well now that you've got all the pagans here, how are you going to keep them here? Well, you better stay pagan because as soon as you start teaching, the same thing that happened to Jesus' ministry is going to happen to your church. All the pagans say, I don't understand what you're talking about. I, I, I think Jesus loves everybody. I think everybody's going to heaven. I think God understands that we're all sinners. I'm okay, you're okay. And it's, our, it's like, oh my gosh, that's not what the Bible says. We better not be preaching Bible here. And all of a sudden, and again, that's an extreme, you know, you know, separation there. But it starts wearing away like that when you guys start watching out what you say. It's one thing to be careful in cancel culture because they're going to cancel you. But if you're in the church and you're worried about offending the saints with the truth of the word of God, uh, again, you've got to have tact. You've got to be, you know, uh, you cordial or something. Uh, but you can't dodge the word of god and say something that is in disagreement and that's where jesus i don't want to say got himself in trouble but that's where jesus well he ended up on the cross i mean got himself in trouble was he was teaching the truth and calling things out again we'll continue here um but point uh four john 2 23 through 25 jesus knew their hearts and he wasn't going to trust them jesus did not trust the people uh, point five, very large, refers to the crowds. It's the word uh, playeth, playeth toss, and it could mean, it means a large crowd, but in this context, it could mean this was the largest crowd yet. This was the largest crowd yet had come out. So Jesus has, it's Easter Sunday type crowd. It's the biggest crowd of the year, and Jesus begins telling parables. Now, it would be fun to go over right now, and I can't do it because that's not our, our purpose here, is go to the book of Matthew because you see the same thing in Matthew. But along in Matthew, what sets the stage right here is Jesus right, it's exactly the same point, right after talking to them about this, saying you're Beelzebub, and he says, well, he says that's the unforgivable sin. He then begins to speak in parables. He, he goes in and begins to speak in parables, and the disciples, you can see in Matthew very clearly, the disciples take him aside and one of them says, it doesn't say who, but one of them says, maybe a groom, why do you speak to the people in parables? No one knows what you're talking about. Oh, i got to go there now. See, I, I, I don't, I don't want to do this because I'm, I'm teaching the book of Mark and not an overview of the Gospels because if we start to put these things in, in sync here, we'll be you know, doing some... Chapter 13... I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting because at least you can see it. Um, this is Matthew. Chapter, let's go to chapter 12. And we'll just pick up in chapter 12. We're not going to read this. I'm going to point it out, I hope. <laughs> chapter 12, verse 22. It says, uh, Matthew, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? So there's the crowds. Could this be? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now that we go back to chapter 3 in Mark. That's where we're at. 
And you have the same, you can see Jesus speaking there. He says in verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Uh, he says, so then they will be your judges in verse 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come up on you. And he goes on, talks about the sin. Okay, verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. That's the unforgivable sin. That's rejecting the the, the Spirit's absolute revelation to you. You can reject me presenting the gospel because you really don't understand it. But when the Spirit of God illuminates you and you have no doubt and you say no to that, well, that's, that's, that's it. Then... Go to chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. So there you've got his enemies have rejected him. His, those that are close to him, besides the disciples, have rejected him. And then chapter 13, right here, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. You see right here? When it says, Mark says, again, just like he did up here, again, Matthew, he went out of the house where his mother had just come and brothers had just come and went and sat by the sea and began to teach him. And watch this. Uh, that same day and sat by the lake such large crowds there's that large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and again the reason that he got in the boat was the large crowds pressing in on him and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore they couldn't come any closer similar to the people coming to the base of the mountain but they couldn't get any closer to the lord then he told them many things in parables, saying and there's your same parable and then look at verse 10 after they after that parable look at this the, 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 the PR team realizes that was a disaster. You might as well have had Biden go out and just mumble into the microphone because no one knows, you know, where, where's your Josetta stone to interpret what is being said here. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? They're concerned. No one understands you. And then Jesus says, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. If you understand, you're laying a foundation for understanding the next level. You'll be given more insight. And he will have an abundance of understanding. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. If you aren't here for the right reason and you don't have the right heart, I'm going to say something and you're not going to understand it. And that's going to lead you into confusion, which is going to confuse the little bit of truth you do have until eventually you don't have any truth at all. You don't know anything about reality. It's intentional. Some are going to grow. Some are going to wither away. I'm dividing the crowd. And he goes on and says, whoever doesn't have even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Why are you speaking in parables? Because even what they have will be taken away from them. If they are, it's decision time. If they're here for the right reason, they're going to hear and grow. If they're here for the wrong reason, this is going to destroy them. I'm here to tell them these parables. And that, uh, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. I'm dangling the truth right in front of them, but they've got the wrong approach and they're never going to understand it. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. 
You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, if they would have the right attitude, they would see it, they would turn, and they would come to me, and I would fix their problem. I, and again, heal them, not just physically, but I would heal their spiritual problems. But because they will not see, they've hardened their hearts. Instead of coming to me, they're going to walk away from me. They're going to walk into disaster. But if they would hear, they could come to me and I would heal them. And this is, it's a pivoting point. So it's just amazing that that's right there in the same thing. And then you, what you have there is the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 You've got seven, and again, this is, again, we don't got to go down this. It says in Mark, he taught them many things in parables. In Matthew 13, there's seven kingdom parables. Every one of them begins. The, look at this. Uh, oh, look in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable and says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Chapter 30, uh, 13, verse 31. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. He gives them what is called the seven kingdom parables, the kingdom of God, and he identifies the kingdom. And some of those, some of those parables are revealing something about the kingdom of God that has never been known before. It's like, he said, I'm bringing you a kingdom. It functions like this. He's giving them the keys to the kingdom of how the kingdom functions. And that's when Mark says, uh, he says, what has been hidden is going to be revealed. What has been covered is going to be made known. And he's going to start telling them this is the way the kingdom works. And so the disciples are taking notes. They're processing this, or the believers, and they're growing. This is what's going to be taking place in the kingdom. Those that have rejected him and want him to overthrow the Roman government or those that just want all their problems solved, they're hearing these parables. They're like, they don't know what to do with them. They're, they're, and eventually they're going to reject him. And that's, that's Matthew at the same location. Let's go back to Mark. Get out of there and get back on the text. Otherwise, I'm never going to get through the book of Mark. Let's go back to uh, um, the notes on page 2, and I'll have to wrap this up. I think, uh, yeah, I've just got enough to finish here tonight. Mark chapter, on page 2, Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. In the English Standard, it says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Uh, and in his teaching, he said to them, uh, tells that parable once again, and we'll, we'll, we'll break that down more next week. But I want to point these things out. Point number one, the parable of the sower is about hearing and responding. That's what it's about. It's about hearing the word of God and responding to it. Uh, the parables will both reveal to those open to and seeking the kingdom of God, but at the same time conceal from those with hard hearts. For some, it's revealing. For others, it's concealing, which is an amazing thing with Jesus' parables. Now, this next point is kind of important, and you don't have to agree with it. Uh, you are going to have to answer this question. Uh, but point three, interpreting parables. Uh, an improper method would be to treat parables like allegories. In an allegory, many parts of the allegory refer to something it's it's an example of something it all fits together and so you take uh take an allegory and every person every activity means something else a parable is going to be first of all one how do i say this one main point okay that's the first thing about it 
And an example of this, and I've done it myself. I've done it myself. I, it's, and again, it's, it's, if you're a Bible teacher, you've got to start somewhere. You start teaching, and you, you learn it. I'll probably someday, if I live long enough, look back at tonight's class and go, you had no idea what you're talking about. But I did this, and it comes from Augustine. Everybody wants to elevate Augustine. But Augustine and some of those early church fathers, you know, they did great. Augustine did fantastic. Obviously, I mean, we can't criticize Augustine, but I don't agree with everything. But one of the things he did was the parable of the Good Samaritan. He allegorized it. And you know the parable of the Good Samaritan? Uh, the man got beat up by a robber, uh, and the man was left bleeding and naked. And then uh, a Pharisee, not, what is it, a Levite passed by, and a priest passed by, or whatever, didn't help him. But then the Samaritan stopped and it put stuff on him bandaged his wounds and then put him on a donkey and took him to the inn the interpretation if it was an allegory there's a main point to that the allegory would be the man is adam the robber is satan the people that passed by were the law of moses and the sacrifices they couldn't help him the samaritan is jesus who stops by to help him, and he puts the oil and wine, which is the Holy Spirit, and takes the man and puts him, the animal would be, you know, the apostles, you know, the Bible, whatever, and takes him to the inn, which is the church. Really? That's, I mean, and then, oh, what deep teaching. And that, that violates what I'd said earlier. Now, again, you don't have to agree with me. You're just going to have to figure this out. But I think that's an improper, and I did. I did that at one time. I taught it several times. I thought it was really clever. You know, I, and I did all, ooh, ah, look at the inside. Oh, it's so deep teaching. And remember, the only time it talks about deep teaching in the Bible is the, that prophetess in the book of Revelation that is Jezebel, and he brings the deep teaching of Satan into the church. So there's only mention of deep teaching is the deep teaching of Satan by a false prophetess in one of the churches that in, mentioned in Revelation. So be careful when you say, ah, Galen's got such deep teaching. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It'd be nice to say clear, insightful, connecting verses, opening up the verses, whatever. But deep teaching is like, oh, it's so deep. It's not even in the text of Scripture. It's buried deep in there. And so when you start doing those allegories, uh, you get into more than what the parable of the Good Samaritan was about. Remember, you've got to keep the parable. Well, let's read this next point. Did I say it here? Uh I will say anything coming up here, but yeah, I, I, I don't see it here. But you've got to keep it in the context. The people, Jesus is, pro, Jesus is in his ministry in 30 AD. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's what the Gospel of Mark is about. And he's proclaiming it to people who are trying to make a decision. So when he tells a parable, it has to fit where Jesus is at. Now, once you have the correct interpretation of it, you can make application. You can't make, I'm going to say this, you can't make a modern interpretation. Jesus said it in 30 AD, so you drag it up here, and what it means, and then you make a modern interpretation of it, it's like, well, you just took it out of context. You can take it, leave it in context, and make the correct interpretation and then take that and make a modern application but you've got to leave it here number uh, b the proper method is to focus on the main point of the parable while allowing some allegories you're allowing you could have some oh my markers need a bit, need juice allegories 
for example, when there's the ideal of the banquet, Jesus has a banquet feast. There's going to be certain things that represent like those that were invited and didn't come. Well, in that context, who are they? And then others, he said, go out and invite everybody. Well, you could, as an allegory, those who are invited could be the Jews or it could be the religious leaders. And they says, no, I'm too busy. Well, then go out, uh, go outside of the boundaries. Go, go everywhere. And that would be, you know, go invite the Gentiles. You could have that kind of, as it fits, you got the storyline going. And you start plugging stuff in. And that's not, that has nothing to do with the story. It looks clever. Um, point one on top of page three there. I'm going to just read it. I said this already. Uh, the parables of Jesus must remain in the context of Jesus' ministry that was focused on proclaiming the kingdom of God. Do not remove the parable from the context and how the people would have heard it. Jesus was not telling us a parable for application to a modern situation, modern setting. Modern application, yes. Modern interpretation, no. Any allegorical element should also have direct context application. If you're going to make it allegory, it's got to have context to what Jesus was saying and not some distant church age reference. Uh, we must have correct exegesis of the parable before we can make the correct application. If you want to make a correct application of a parable, you've got to have the f- correct interpretation first. You have the wrong, for example, the sower goes off and sows 30, 60, and 100 fold produces. The wrong interpretation would be they're talking about financial principles. So you get a false application. If you put $10 in, you get a hundredfold return. And I remember hearing this taught from the pulpit on cassette tape, on television. I was in the front row during some of the sermons in mega churches. It's like if you give $10, it's guaranteed in the Word of God that God is going to give you a hundredfold return. Okay, that's a misinterpretation of the parable Jesus is not talking about finances in Mark chapter 4. And now you're making a false application in 1985 to Galen. And Galen's shelling out the money thinking, I'm going to be getting a hundredfold return. And then when that doesn't kick in, then you start realizing, uh, I better read the Bible myself. And uh, the book of Job kind of turned me around on some of those things right there. But that would be an example of, false interpretation and of course you got some wild applications so parables need to be held handled carefully Uh, we must have correct exegesis of the parable before we can make correct application twisted exegetical interpretation will provide false application and you know there is false application and of course my goal is to give you correct interpretation ever so carefully so we can make correct application and again That's why I like to have you have a Bible and you listen to other people teach also so that we get the truth uh, because I'm still learning. Even though I try to teach, I'm still learning. I'll pray and we're done. I appreciate you being here. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into your word. We ask that we again would handle these things diligently, carefully, and we allow our hearts to hear your word that we may be transformed, we may continue to learn and grow. Not just have information, Father, but have our lives transformed by the living word that we may become more Christ-like and be transformed into his image. We do thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the chance to be in your kingdom. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.